0: Well, good morning, morning. church so good to be with you today worship the Lord together Uh, it's good when they said to me let us go into the house of the Lord would you thank the Lord for allowing us to come and, and be here today and uh before we jump in can we here at Broken Arrow welcome all the other campuses as well as those who are online put your hands together and welcome them I have I have no idea how they pick the names, but, but it's, it amazes me that every week the name that we call, that person will text in and say, hey, you reached out to me, and this is what God is doing in my life. So Joel in Nevada, we welcome you today. James in, in Texas, we welcome you. We got friends in Illinois, Iowa, Minnesota, Arkansas, the Holy Land, Honduras, and Egypt. To welcome to the Battle Creek Online family today. Uh, I I just was overwhelmed this morning uh, multiple times, and uh, I'm going to take just a minute if I can. I I get here usually about 6 a.m. on Sunday mornings, and I'm I'm sitting in my office and uh, studying, and and I sit on the couch, and out that glass door, uh, I, I just start seeing people just start showing up. A, a, volunteers and, and people who are coming to work on the production team, people who are coming to get childcare ready. And, and I just start seeing them walk in the, the parking lot at 6 a.m. And some of them with like four and five, six children and that, that they're, you know, dragging in, kids in their pajamas, you know, are, are, are coming into church. And, and, and I just am overwhelmed with gratitude for men and women who who understand the world we live in, and understand the God that we serve, and understand. And, and, and so, would you just thank God for all these volunteers around here that continually make this thing wow. happen? Uh, I, I, every time, every time I, I look around, I, I just am amazed. The, the staff team, uh, amazing. amazing. And I'm just so grateful uh, for, for our staff team. I'm sitting here looking at Mike Bab, who, who is the chief of our staff, and. Uh, remarkable story. I've told that story a few times in the last few months at, 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 at some gatherings uh, of what God did in his life in Israel. We, we, he was three seats behind me and, 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 somebody sent me a text that said, uh, Hey, do you know these people? And it listed people in Tulsa, like Chet Cadjo, who's the CEO owner of quick trip and Schusterman and Paula Marshall and just, and, and about six names down was Mike Babb. And uh, he said, we're trying to buy companies. A- and I said, Mike, come up here. He came up three seats next to me on the bus. I showed him the email. He said, we're not for sale. Uh, Paragon Films is, is my ministry. It's where I do mission. It's where I do ministry. And I said, hey, pray about it. Just pray about it. Just ask God what, what he wants you to do. And, and a few years later, he, he sold the company and came to volunteer to be the chief of staff over all all of our staff. And and from him on down, uh, I I look around and, and I just am grateful watching Josh come up here and, and, uh, do the, the moment that we just had just over and over and over, Kurt leading us in worship, the little cold girl leading us in worship right here. Like I see her with a pacifier in her mouth. because she she would wander in the hallways. Just, just, I'm so overwhelmed with the goodness of God on this church. Would you just thank him again for what he's doing? In fact, let me, let me uh, just share with you some of the amazing things that, that, that have happened over these last five weeks just five weeks at our Tulsa area campuses. I know this giant series has been heavy and we've covered a lot of intense topics. But I want you to just hear some of the things that God has done, just some of the things that God has done in the last few weeks. If you're here with us in this series, you may look around and go, it's getting a little bit harder to find a seat. And in fact, we added a few hundred chairs here and it's still getting harder uh, to to find a seat. That that means 600 more people are worshiping with us now in person than they were five weeks ago uh, when we started this series. And and the last month, we celebrated 37 baptisms. That's 37 people coming out public in their faith just in the last couple of weeks. And uh, we've had 2,000 people interacting with the resources, the Giants resources that are on our website, 2,000 people going onto the website and pulling these resources down to help them effectively deal with the Giants in their lives. We've had 900 people join the church in the last five weeks to say, hey, we want to come and be a part of of, of what God is doing in Tulsa through Battle Creek Church. And, and, and so you, you just have to know that does not happen everywhere. I, I don't know if you're aware of that or not, but that just doesn't happen everywhere. In fact, it's not happening most everywhere. But, but, but it is happening here, and, and, and we're grateful. And that, it's an incredible move of God that we're experiencing, church. And it's something that you and I cannot manufacture And one of the challenges that we face when we talk about fighting spiritual battles is how can we take this unseen world and make it tangible to people who are living here on planet Earth with skin on, right? And one of the things that Jesus did on a regular basis is he told these parables to teach spiritual truths. And so that's what we're going to do next month. In June, we're going to teach a series called Parables, and we're going to go to some of the amazing stories that Jesus taught and what is the story behind the story for our lives today. And I, I want to show you a visual parable uh, for, for, uh, that, that just kind of illustrates uh, what I'm talking about with the spiritual world uh, happening and occurring all over the physical world. And I wish I could tell you in the making of this video that no campus pastors were, were harmed. <laughs> but, but I can't tell you that. In fact, let, let, let's watch and see. It's so easy to get reality mixed up with a virtual reality. Battle Creek Church, as we're coming to the end of giants, uh, man, it's been a powerful series, but we wanted to get together as we're closing. Some of the times, uh, as Pastor mentioned, that we want to face our giants, but a lot of times we don't see them. Sometimes that can be right in front of us uh, and we don't see them. Sometimes we're looking through the lenses uh, of the world and not what God has placed on our heart and how to view that. And real, much like uh, this virtual reality headset, we're looking at something that's really not there, So we wanted to take a chance to let you look in and see what that would look like uh, by looking in through the wrong lens. Whoa, I can't see your feet. What the heck? Yeah, I ain't doing this. I ain't jumping. You know, you make fun of this until you get in here. Am I sweating? Because I feel like I'm sweating. <laughs> 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 That's weird, man. That is totally crazy. Ooh! Ooh! ooh. No ninja warrior stunt here. Come on. Come on. Okay. Ah! Oh! There's a car! All right. This is how it works. Here. Did this in my days in Chicago, right here. Oh, my goodness. Woo, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I got it,
1: I got
0: it. <laughs> couldn't show you all of it. <laughs> the next day he had a bunch of plates and screws and pins put in and both of his bones snapped in half. And it was Joe theismonish for some of you who remember that and are old enough to remember that. And Wes would say to you today, it felt real And it's hard to not make decisions based on what you're feeling in a false reality. And you just have to hear me today. We have an enemy who wants us to fight this fake fight over here so that we won't have any energy or see the need to fight the real fight that, that, that is taking place. And what the devil does is his is best to convince us it's all fun and games. But, but but in reality, when we're fighting these fake fights, there is collateral damage happening in, in the spiritual world on a regular basis, we, in, in the battle that really matters, the one that has eternal consequences. The, the, he, he wants us to think that this physical reality is all there is to life. And, and, and through this series, we've been talking about this foundational biblical truth. But by the way, let me just say, I think I mentioned it last week. We're extending this series one more week, next, next week. Uh, and, and next Sunday, I was going to be gone. I was going to be traveling and, and have canceled all of those plans to be here next Sunday because I just can't get it all in. We, we need one more message on how to walk out this freedom. many of you have named your giant and and removed your giant and except, but but there's some steps involved in in walking this thing out. And we'll cover those next Sunday. But this biblical foundational truth that shapes everything, it's truly how we work this thing out in our lives. And and, and when we know this and get this and understand this, it changes everything in our lives forever. and, And that truth is that we are spiritual beings. Inside physical bodies, we're not physical beings who occasionally encounter the, the spiritual realm. The, the whole of the story of the Bible is a spiritual story about God and his people. And as spiritual people, we fight spiritual battles against spiritual giants, and we must do it with spiritual weapons. And Today we're going to talk about another giant that exists today and and, and maybe is one of the biggest threats to the American church today. It's the giant of rebellion. In fact, if we don't slay this giant, we will not be able to walk with the authority that we need and that is ours and is required to slay all the other giants. And so turn in your Bible to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. I want to show you one verse. We'll springboard out of there into 1 Samuel chapter 15. But Paul is talking about the end times. And it is so incredibly fitting uh, of the world today in in this passage of scripture. He's talking about the end times. And he says, for this lawlessness, you could write in your Bible, literally the man of lawlessness. Literally, that's what the Bible says. The man of lawlessness, that's the Antichrist, is already at work secretly and will remain secret until the one who is holding it back steps out of the way. In other words, he's a sleeping giant. Verse 8. The man of lawlessness will be revealed, but the Lord Jesus will kill him with the breath of his mouth. That is power, right? You you thought somebody around you had bad breath and they could do damage with that bad breath. Jesus' mouth is a sword and and, and it it will come out and it will cut this enemy down to size and he will destroy him by the splendor of his coming and and the Antichrist will be revealed that's laid out clearly in the book of Revelation and there are rows and rows and rows libraries of books trying trying to predict who is the Antichrist and where is he going to show up and what is his name but Paul's observation is that he's already at work today And his name is lawlessness. And there are many spirits of Antichrist already working. And one of them is rebellion. And Paul knew there was a spirit of rebellion in the the world at work secretly. And that same spirit is antichrist. In other words, he's opposed to Jesus Christ and is opposed to the work of God. And and so I want to give you three indicators uh, on whether or not you have rebelled. Three three things that uh, we we need to look out for to make sure that this giant doesn't get us. And I want to go back to a passage we were in a few weeks ago, 1 Samuel chapter 15. 1 Samuel chapter 15, flip back there. This is the story where Saul was supposed to destroy the entire nation of uh, Amalek. And remember the people, the property, the animals, he's supposed to destroy it all. I, I think I mentioned to you in one of the services, I don't know if it was nine or 11, but, but in one of the services, many rabbis that I've been reading the last year and a half w- w- would say that the Amalekites were not even people, that, that that they were this race that was not even created by God. It was demonic, where the, the, the sons of God ended up having sex with the wimp daughters of man and they created a race that God didn't even create it. It sure makes the genocide in the Old Testament a lot more palatable that what God was doing was removing enemies from the land and giants from the land, right? And so, but instead of doing what God told him to do, Saul kept some of them back. And this was the final straw for God. God told Samuel, I'm removing Saul as king. I'm gonna replace him with David. And I wanna take a quick look at what was it about Saul's rebellion that can teach us to stay clear of it in our own lives. In fact, to the, to the young people, the high school kids and college students in our ministry today, we're so glad you're here. We love that you keep us young. And, and, and can I just say to you today that uh, wisdom, according to scripture, says that you learn from other people's mistakes. Amen. You, you, you don't have to make the same mistakes. That just be wise and learn from somebody who's gone before you. You don't have to go down that path. And by the way, that's not just for young people. That's for some of you old people. Come on. How do we rebel? The, the, the first thing we do, write this down, is we disregard God. Instead of putting him out first and placing him over us, we want to take his place, and, and we end up worshiping ourselves. You, 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 you don't believe me. Look, look, look at the scripture. Early the next morning, Samuel went to find Saul. Someone told him that Saul went to the town of Carmel to set up a monument to himself. Then he went out to Gilgal. And, and how do you even do that? Set up a monument to yourself. Today we, we would call it social media. I'm not joking. The... the notion that I can spend my energy my time my resources promoting myself and somehow that not put me in danger spiritually is a scary path how how do you think that that is a good idea listen rebellion has a root and it has a father and his name is any guesses Paul explains it, by the way, where this spirit of lawlessness comes from back in Second Thessalonians. Look at what he says. This man will come to do the work of Satan with counterfeit power and signs and miracles. Rebellion comes from Satan. But what is rebellion and what is stubbornness? This ploy that Satan uses, listen, is not for you and I to bow before him and to outright worship him. It's not Satanism, right? It has its root in, in this something that's more subtle that says, hey, just worship yourself. And we worship ourselves in place of God. And he's not going to get many of us to, you know, get a pentagram tattooed on our chest. He's not going to get many of us to worship evil in that way. But he could easily convince us to worship ourselves. Easily. Rebellion is about worshiping ourselves in place of God. And you keep going in this story of Saul in 1 Samuel 15. It's very revealing. It tells us some things about rebellion and stubbornness. Look at the next verse or jump down to verse 23. Rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft. We talked about this a few weeks ago. And stubbornness as bad as worshiping idols. Rebellion is as sin unto witchcraft. What does that even mean? Witchcraft is not only one of false gods and worshiping false idols. In witchcraft, the idea is that you have the power inside of you that you are your own God. And that same spirit exists today powerfully in our culture. Re- re- rebellion is just like it, setting yourself up as your own God, taking his place. It-, it is worshiping ourselves as our own deity. Stubbornness is the sin of idolatry. What is idolatry? Idolatry is putting anything higher than God in your life. That's why the first of the 10 commandments is to have no other gods before me. L- listen, whatever you desire more than God is an idol to you. It's an idol. And stubbornness, write this down, is the worship of our own opinions. Stubborn people are highly opinionated. And there's nothing wrong with that. But you take it to a spiritual level and another level, uh, they're offended when you disagree with them. They always have to have the last word. They're always gonna tell you where you're wrong. No no matter what, they're never gonna change their mind because they're unteachable. Stubbornness is the worship of our own opinion. And idolatry is setting up anything higher than God and desiring it more than God in our lives. And and you can say, we don't have an idol problem in America. I I don't see any wooden idols anywhere. No one worshiping them openly. It's not that we've created something out of wood or metal to worship. No, no, we, we don't need to. We decide to go ahead and just worship ourselves. Which is the next sign that we are walking down this path is we disrespect God. Saul twisted the word of God. He disrespected God's commands. He didn't think enough of them to even tell the truth of them, right? Look at verse 13. When Samuel finally found him, Saul greeted him cheerfully. May the Lord bless you, he said. He has no idea what's coming. I've carried out the Lord's command. This is Saul clearly lying. He is giving Samuel, the the prophet of God, fake news. This is Saul trying to convince either himself or or, or Samuel that instead of completely bailing on the commands of God, that somehow he did what was right. That that to disrespect God's word is not when you tear it up physically or, or you spill something on your Bible. It's when you twist the word of God. That's the first deception of Satan in the Bible, remember? He he, he said, hey, did God really say? He was saying, I know that God said, don't eat the fruit. But but he's insinuating, but didn't God also put that desire within you? Isn't that God speaking by placing that desire within you? Which is it going to be, what God says or the desire that he put inside of you? That's a question you ought to ask yourself on a regular basis. Is what God said, does it trump the desires that I'm wired with? Does the word of God trump what I feel? Does the word of God trump what culture says is right? Does the word of God trump what what I want? Well, God would want me to fulfill these desires. Where did you get that? He he does want those desires met that were wired within you, but he wants them met under his word. That's where faith comes in for the child of God. Well, I don't feel like going that way. Well, obey. And your feeling will come. Listen, he was trying to confuse Adam and Eve and twist God's word. He, he had kept up that barrage, by the way. He has kept up that barrage from that point forward. And, and when we think that we know better that our way is better, we start to twist what God says until we can figure out how to do it our way. Then he no longer has any authority in our lives. And you say, well, no, he has authority. No, he doesn't disrespecting God's word is really disrespecting God. It's treating him a lot smaller than he is. It shows a total lack of fear of God on our part. And too often we get so caught up in the grace and mercy of God that we forget he's still a God. And he's still up there, and he's bigger than us, and we still need to fear him. And and the fear of God, again, is not being afraid of him or scared of him that he's going to get you, right? The fear of God is being so in awe of him that he is in control of all of us. And and, and the the fear of God cannot coexist with the disrespect of God. Uh, They can't coexist. (laughs) Here's uh, another sign that you may be in rebellion is we disobey God. That's the third step, by the way. We think rebellion is disobedience. There are steps that come before that. Rebellion is when you've already dove into the pool. There were steps that got you there that you may not have seen or even regarded, but there were steps that got you there. And Saul had convinced himself that his way was more important than God's way. He had convinced himself that he was fine doing it his way. So so what happens? He refused to destroy all the things of the Amalekites. He kept some of the best of it back for himself, the best stuff, right? And and verse 19, why haven't you obeyed the Lord? Why why didn't you rush for the plunder and do what was evil in the Lord's sight? He disregarded God. He disrespected God. He disobeyed God. And in the end, what he did in all of them is he dissed God. You think, well, I, I would never do that. But do you think too much of yourself? Talk yourself out of obeying God? You come up with excuses to not do what God has asked you to do? We we all give ourselves all kinds of excuses to disobey God. And and, and we come up with so many outs and so many shortcuts and so many roundabouts that that we can't see the clear path right in front of us. And that path leads to one place, destruction. Wes jumped off a one by four onto a solid surface with carpet and and walked away with a broken ankle. Listen, we we think that this is is the battle that we're fighting. But we cannot see the real path that is in front of us. Look look, look at verse 26. But Samuel replied, "I, I will not go back with you. Since you have rejected the Lord's command, he has rejected you as the king of Israel. In other words, you disc God's authority, so he's taking your authority away. And that's what happens to us, right? It happens when we take ourselves out from underneath God's authority And when we do that, we lose all the authority we have as believers and as the children of God. I I, want to show you how to get back under God's authority in your life. How how do you get clear of disobedience and rebellion and and regain your own spiritual authority in your life over the enemy? Okay, three paths today. Three paths to get back under the authority of God. The first path is uh, the path of humility. I want to take a look at David's life here for, for a minute because he's certainly a man of spiritual blessing and maturity. He, he who walked with God, right? The apple of God's eye, uh, the, the man after God's own heart. He had a, a whole bunch of issues. But, but Saul's issue was the issue of rebellion. That really wasn't David's issue, right? You go all the way back to the first week of the story of David and Goliath. 1 Samuel 17, David is telling everyone that he can and will fight the giant. Saul hears about it, sends for David, takes one look at David and says, no way. You can't do that. And what was David's response? Remember, all authority is God's uh, authority. God God had taken his hand off of Saul, but he was still God's authority, right? And and in fact, look at this verse, 1 Samuel 17, 34. But David said to Saul, your servant. Then he goes on to explain why he can fight the giant but he's not rebellious he is submitting to the authority of Saul and he makes this righteous appeal your servant meaning i understand that you are god's authority figure and i'm going to obey your wishes but I, but i'm placing myself under the authority of god now you remember in first samuel 17 comes on the heels of first samuel 16 that's a deep thought but but in that chapter where David is called in from tending the sheep, Samuel the prophet is there. God tells Samuel, that's the one. Anoint him as the next king. And all of David's brothers and even David's dad are like, "What? The scrawny little shepherd boy, David? No way." But God had anointed him to be the next king, and God, we can infer, knew what he was doing. Now, I'm not sure if word got back to Saul or not. Probably not. But maybe the word had gotten out. Maybe a few heard about it and didn't believe it. But David knew what happened. And he remembered Saul's words. And when Saul said, no, David, you can't do this. David could have very easily said, oh, you you didn't hear? I'm going to be the next king of Israel. That that kingdom that's going to be ripped from your hands, God gave it to me. See, the oil is still in my hair, the anointing oil. I haven't washed it out yet. But he he didn't do that. He had the temptation to act and and, and the opportunity to act arrogantly, but he didn't. Because he knew to act humbly and to walk before his Lord meant to submit. And, and, And so the first words out of his mouth were, your servant. He had been anointed, but he had not been appointed. And he knew without Saul's blessing, God would not be with him against Goliath. Authority is in place to keep us humble and keep us from killing ourselves. And humility is the path. This last week we were, I was kind of teaching this point in a content meeting and I was kind of working this out and fleshing this out. And and I said, all of you pastors, you've all been in moments where you were called in as the spiritual authority. Happens all the time. Sometimes you call, people call, it has to be the pastor. I have to talk to the pastor. We have a hundred staff members. You can't talk to one of them. No, it has to be the pastor. It has to be the one that preaches. Almost never will I take that call when it's that demanding. And in those moments, we're dealing with this spiritual matter. You have to come. We need you to come deal with it. That is the worst setup for a spiritual solution on planet Earth. Because when I'm walking to that moment where I am the only one who can solve that in this spiritual battle, I am puffing myself up. Look at me, I'm going to go solve it. They can't deal with it. Look at me, I'm going to go solve it. And then you walk into that situation with pride, which is the worst prescription with dealing with a spiritual enemy. There have been times around here, many times around here, where, where that very scenario I just pitched to you happened, and I walked in, and we end up dealing with the demonic, and we're trying to take something down, and I can't do it, and LaNita, uh, who, who is 70-something years old uh, and walks with the Lord, has been a fixture around here forever, just sitting there watching with her little notepad, and, and I'm trying to deal with it in this spiritual pride, and she just says, stop it, <laughs> and the demon's gone. Why? Humility. Who is God? And I'm going to get under that path and I'm going to walk in that kind of humility. Pride is is a path of rebellion. Look, look, Look at the second path the path of faith. Path of faith. Faith in God's plan comes with humility, by the way. You remember what Peter said, 1 Peter 5, 6, humble yourselves under the mighty power of God and at the right time, he will lift you up and honor you. Not my time, not your time, but the right time. And we can jump the gun. We, we, we risk getting out from under God's hand. And, and, and so let, let, let me give you the last pathway of getting back under God's authority. You have to walk in faith. You got to believe God, even when it, you can't see it, even when you don't know what's coming, even when you don't understand it, even when you don't feel it, you got to faith God and walk believing that his way is the right way. Come on. Yes. The path of obedience. One of the most encouraging things about these paths, by the way, to all of us should be that this is the very path Jesus himself went down. He's not asking us to do something he didn't do or that he wouldn't do. In fact, his whole life and his whole ministry are earmarked by these three things, humility, faith, and obedience. You, you, You remember... Philippians 2, when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death o- on the cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. R- remember, idolatry is taking anything and putting it higher than God in your life, desiring anything more than you desire God, e- even yourself. And, and when you do that, you take yourself out from under the protection of God and you open yourself up to the very attack of the enemy. So the, the question comes back on the attack of the enemy. It's come in here dozens of times via email. Well, well, can can a Christian be possessed by the devil? Absolutely not. Because you are possessed by God. You cannot have two owners. You are owned by God. Lost people are possessed by the devil. Those who don't have a relationship with Christ, he owns them. That word possessed by the devil, by the way, is not found anywhere in the Bible. In fact, what what scholars have done for centuries is said, well, they can't be possessed by the devil, but what believers can be is oppressed by the devil. But I got news for you. That word oppressed is not in the Bible either. There's only one word as it relates to the demonic in the lives of the believers in the New Testament. And there's only one word in the life of unbelievers for that matter in the Bible as it relates to the demonic. And that word is demonized. Can a believer be demonized? You better believe that believers can be demonized. We can't be possessed by the devil, but we can possess the devil in the house. He can be in the house of God, in the temple of God, wrecking havoc on the children of God. When you dis God, disregard God, disrespect God, disobey God, he takes your authority away just like he did with Saul. Now you're living with no authority and the enemy is killing you. He's attacking you and he's destroying you. But when you place yourself under the authority of Jesus, under the authority of Jesus, you operate with the authority of Jesus. And then you walk on top of the enemy because you now have his authority at work within you. But when you place yourself above the authority of Jesus, you are without the authority of Jesus. Not only are you without the authority of Jesus... You're under Satan's control as a believer. If you are a believer walking above the authority of Jesus, you are now under the control of the devil in your life. And at that moment, you say, well, what I need to do is pray. No. You're in no position to pray. You're in no position to hear from God. Obey. Obey, humble yourself and get back under the authority of Jesus in your life. When you are above the authority of Jesus, you are under the control of Satan in your life. And when you have the authority of Jesus in your life, now you have the authority to walk on top of the enemy on top of the enemy in your life. And as this plays out in your life, it's really a play on words, but I want you to hear me today that when you place yourself under the authority of Jesus, then you walk with the authority of Jesus over the enemy in your life. You are on top of him. He does not have authority over you. You have the authority in the person of Jesus Christ and you can tell him to leave and you can tell him to get out and you can tell him to, to be bounced at that moment in your life. And you can take back any and all ground that you have given over to him previously in your life. You you have two examples you can follow, one or the other. There's only two, by the way. There's only two. You can follow the example of Jesus, which Philippians 2, I just quoted to you, right? Though he was God, he appeared in human flesh, humbled himself, died a criminal's death, a death even on a cross, right? The, The example of Jesus. Or you can take the example of Satan, who said, I will ascend to heaven. That's Isaiah. I will ascend to heaven. I will make myself like God. You you, you have a choice to make as a child of God. You're you're either going to follow the example of Jesus who descended and and humbled himself and obeyed the father and then the father exalted him or you're going to do just the opposite, follow the example of Satan who escalates yourself and says, I know better. I'll do what I want. I'm not going to listen to you, God. I'll be like a God and worship myself and he will descend you. It's only two choices. There, there is no middle ground. You're going to follow one example or the, the other, right? You've got to place yourself under the authority of Jesus. This umbrella represents the authority and the protection of Jesus in our lives. The protection of God when you're under the authority of Jesus in your life. And so when addiction tries to come or temptation tries to come or when sin comes knocking at your door, the demonic comes knocking at your door, you are under the protective authority of Jesus Christ. But when you take yourself out from under it and put yourself on top of the authority of Jesus, not only are you subject to all the fiery darts and all the attack of the enemy, but now you have no authority to walk in. In fact, you're very limited in walking at all. It's not rocket science. It's actually very simple. The truth is not so high up there that we would say, who's going to go up and get it? Or so deep in the ocean that say, who's going to swim down and bring it up to us? It's right here. Will you walk in it? I want to lead you in the progression, the next part of this prayer that we'll finish next Sunday. But, but if you would just bow your heads and just hold your hands open like this on your lap. And just repeat after me. And if you're watching online, <clears throat> you join in as well. W- w- would you just say, Heavenly Father... All authority is yours. I choose to place myself completely under your authority. Lord Jesus, I give you my will and my rights, my life, my spouse and my children, my home and my job, my finances, my needs and desires my direction, my flesh, and my purpose, and control. Search me and try me. See if there's any wicked way in me. Shine your light in my heart. Show me any rebellion. I repent of it. I turn my back on it. Remove all those things. All that needs to be removed, Lord, and bring into my life whatever needs to be brought in Holy Spirit show me the idols in my life anything that's elevated above God in my heart in my mind and in my life I confess that you are all I have all I want and all I need I worship you alone God And Lord Jesus, by the power of your shed blood, I cancel and renounce and sever from my life, my spouse's life, my children's life, my grandchildren's life, from my home, my job, my finances, my needs, my desires, my direction, my flesh, my purpose, and my control. Any words of witchcraft, vows, pacts, agreements or curses, or anything else that has been sent against any of us, I submit fully to you, Lord Jesus. Don't let anything that has not first gone through the cross and the blood of Jesus Touch me, my family, or my church. Thank you that you have given me all authority as I walk under your authority. I thank you and I praise you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen and amen. We thank the Lord today. I said this a few weeks ago. I think I said it at 11. I don't think I said it at 9. We, we had a pastor in our lives. He's a friend. He, in fact, he's always been kind and gracious to us. But there were days that I would look at him like, are you on planet Earth? Because he talked with that old Baptist talk and it was always corporate and it was always just religious is what it felt like, it sounded like to me. But, but, but he, he would stand up and he would address the church and he would call them beloved. And, and I just wanted to pull him aside. One time he said to me, Alex, have you seen the pastor's Bible? I'm like, you talking about yours? <laughs> and, and, and But beloved, beloved. I would just want to say, can you just pretend like you live on planet Earth in this day and age? But, but, but there is something that, that, that is rising up in me for you. And I can't think of another word, but beloved, he wants to set you free. And he wants to give you victory that is yours. He's just waiting at moments on one step of faith, one step of obedience, and he will meet you there. In in a moment, we're going to continue worshiping by giving this free will offering that we see multiple times in in the Bible where God's people give a free will offering. In fact, there's a story that has blown me away in Scripture where, where David was was calling for the offering, and the people of God brought so much that David said, Stop. Stop. We don't know what to do with all the money that you're giving. And today's free will offering is our summer offering. And as you've heard me say many times in the past, summer is the time where attendance goes down, although I believe it may not happen this summer. I think some of you are afraid to miss what God's doing. But expenses go up and ministry goes up. And we, we, we give at the beginning of the summer as a kind of a first thing to say, hey, as we go into the summer, we want to stay on track financially as a church. We, we give so that kids can go to camp. We give so that people can go on mission trips. And, and student camps and elementary camps are a way to change a kid's life forever and mission trips is a way for you to go impact the world and be impacted. And by giving, you open up the availability for more to go and participate. And you open up the opportunity for God to do even more in our church. And so today, if you're going to give the summer offering at all of our campuses, you can take an envelope and just write summer offering on it. Some of you already gave online, and I would just encourage you, if you already gave online, we, we, we did. But but if you already gave online, just write, gave online, on it, but still participate in this tangible way with the envelope today as an act of worship. And we're going to come and we're going to give at all of our campuses. There are receptacles here on the floor at the altar before me and over here on the corners of the stage and on tables at, at, at your campus. that I'm sure they're visible there at the front. But would you stand all across the auditorium church today with me as we prepare our hearts to give what the Lord has led us to give. And so, Father, today over your people, I just pray that as we give that you make us joyful. Make us joyful. Understanding who you are and all that you've done for us give us great joy to give to you and worship you in this way. Would you receive it? Would you multiply it? Would you touch it? Would you do something with it that we couldn't do on our own because of the anointing that is on it? We worship you today and we're thrilled to get to give back to you. In Jesus' name we pray, and together we all say amen. The musicians are going to play. The altars are open. If you're ready to give a summer offering to the Lord today, just come on and let's do that together.